You are listening to Get Your Sexy Back podcast with Kim Coffin, empowerment, sex, love, and relationship coach. My goal is to bring you uncensored healing and pleasurable wellness through sacred sexuality, sex positivity, and empowerment that feels good to your body. So as a collective, we can release shame, reclaim the places we've been most disempowered, reconnect to our body, remember who we are, and step into our unapologetic power basically breaking down the walls of our conditioning and the patriarchy together. My pussy is so excited that you are here. Let's drop into this week's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I have the beautiful Lisa Lacroix here with me today, and I'm so excited to dive into a whole pile of stuff, the artful aging, we're going to maybe dive into midlife and narrative on that. And I love playing with this erotic priestess, which is just another term to start playing in there. And I'll I'll let Lisa dive right into it um, while we get going here. But first intro yourself. Sure. I have to say that was such a lovely, condensed, concise intro to me and very compelling. I'm thinking, wow, Kim knows what she is doing. So thank you for having me. I'm super happy to get to have a conversation with you today because partly it's fun to have conversations with people like you. But Mm -hmm. my story, if I could make it very brief, is I'm a speaking skills and visibility coach and I have a background as a film and television actor. I also started dance, ballroom dance, competitive ballroom dance quite late in life at age 49. And my mission in life is to change the narrative on aging, especially for women in their 40s, 50s and 60s, because I believe that we are one of the most underutilized precious resources that our culture has available to it. And we're not compensated for it. We're not recognized for it. We're not empowered with it. And I'd like to change that. Yeah, we're not owning it right? That empowered part of owning it and showing up in it. Yes, yes, yes. To all of this. Tell us a little bit more. Do you want to go into a little bit more story or you want to dive oh, right in? No, I, I, yeah, I'd be happy to tell a little bit more of my story. There's so many elements to it when you're 57 years old and you've had many chapters as I have, as someone with many interests, an ADHD like brain and a, a creative personality I've done many chapters. And so I could talk about any of them, but I guess what I could share is that part of the journey for me has been bringing them all together, has been, mm-hmm. has been recognizing that every chapter in my life has meaning and recognizing that in my past, there were many times when I gave myself grief because there's such a narrative in our culture that you have to be one-pointed focused. You have to have a niche. And I believed that on some level, But my ADHD like brain would not let me do that. And so I've had so many chapters and it's taken me into my 50s to realize that that is a unique and compelling journey that has so much value because it has so many chapters. And so I could talk about any of them. I'm from Canada. I spent my first early career as a film and television actor in Canada. Then I moved to the States and worked here. When I had kids, I left. And I homeschooled them for 15 years and created a pretty large community for people independently educating their kids outside of brick and mortar school. It was my focus. I was building community. I was raising my kids and it was the center point of my life for a long time. I forgot myself though in that Mm -hmm. period. 
And I think mm-hmm. it's all in common. So when my community, there's usually 350 families in my community, as our kids started to age out, what I noticed was there was this enormous uh, group of women, this many women in their 50s, late 40s, 50s, who had spent so much time in this very unique population. It was for gifted kids who weren't getting their academic needs met in school. So it attracted smart, educated, outside the box, progressive thinking people. All these amazing women who are now in their next chapter and having to figure out what it was. And at that time, I thought, I don't wanna be that homeschooling parent holding on to my kids. So I discovered mm-hmm. ballroom dance and I completely fell in love with it. I started competing. I won a world title when I was 52 and I was posting videos sheepishly, right? Oh God, I'll post my little video. It's not very good. Cause I'm an amateur. I saw one last week. It was like, is that Lisa? <laughs> so huh? people, and people would say that to me and I, and that started another chapter. And so I guess the, the underarching message here for me that I, I think I'm sharing the subtext is that sometimes when you follow where the river flows, just where the water is going based on your interests, needs, abilities to contribute. It takes you in ways you couldn't really have planned. So what happened was people started saying, oh, your videos are so inspiring. It's giving me the idea that I could do whatever, I I could do something new because you started when you're 49. So then I started talking about it. I started speaking about rebranding aging and the fact that we can always be reinventing ourselves and telling my story. And so that led into a whole other thing. And so there's all these tendrils that fit together between my acting, my acting background informed my speaking skills class. All of my speaking skills class is based on my background as a film and television actor. And then I speak. So here's an interesting thing that may be useful to people. At one point when I was figuring out what's next, I realized that I'm never going to be the best speaker in the world. You know, it's hard to be the best speaker in the world. I'm I'm an adequate speaker. I like my speaking skills. I like my stories and my, and my, you know, my, my approach. I am never going to be the best dancer in the world because I started when I was 49. But I could possibly be a very good speaker who also inspires through dance. Mm -hmm. And so I like the idea for myself and for other people of looking at where things overlap in our lives and making art from the overlap. Mm. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Sounds like you just named my story, but in a different way, right? <laughs> Putting it all together. Yeah. Putting it mm. all together and making, making it the sum of the parts more, more than the individual's. And it's almost like you don't see it in, at the time, right? It's the looking back where you're like, oh, and it all lines up and it all comes to this beautiful time where we can do this artful aging, right? Where we can dive into this midlife with, to me, it's like juice and life and aliveness and fun and pleasure, all of this yumminess. So let's dive into that. Mm, I love that you, I, I love how you speak it into existence <laughs> and I want to reflect to you that you're speaking it in that way because mirror neurons are so powerful. We affect each other. And I felt myself drop a little bit deeper. So thank you. Mm, You're welcome. Yes. My pussy just went on. You're speaking as powerful. Mm, Thank you. Hearing that from you makes me go, oh, 
because you know watching you speak for the last three months as well in another course we were in I was like oh my gosh she's so good I can't go after her oh no no yes we can't we've got to dispel all that I know get rid of that shit I know I had to snap it recognize I get it I get it that's our human nature is not only no it's I don't know if it's our human nature it's our acculturated nature comparison and this is something that in our communities that we're in we recognize and we are looking to smash is the idea that we have to compare ourselves and be competitive with each other because that's the patriarchy that's what we have been raised on because it serves some other needs that rather than ours and we're changing shut up and be small we're changing that yeah recognize each other and that someone else's skill set can add to ours we link arms so Mm. well so on the the artful artful aging or embodiment priestess erotic priestess which which, all of it it's all all connected to me it is connected it is connected but telling all the stories with my little adhd like brain let's see i'm going to start with this i was married for 21 years and about 20 19 or 20 years into it my mother died and my mother was always a very quiet person. This is a bit of a long way into it. I'll, I'll try to tighten it up a bit. But so my mother was not a very verbal person, but she really supported my dad, who's a singer and photographer. My sister's a singer songwriter. Me, I was a film and television actor. And I thought if I don't use my voice more, I'm not giving what she supported uh, enough cre- credit. There's not a legacy there. So I started showing up more in the world. I, I created my podcast, I started speaking, all the things. And as I was building my new life, somehow, maybe relatedly, my marriage ended. And all at the same time, my marriage was ending and I was having to recreate myself. I had started to share this message of artful aging. And artful aging is, was at the time to me about rebranding aging. Let's tell new stories. Let's be our most empowered selves in our aging. But then when my mother died and my, my marriage ended without much warning, I wasn't expecting it. I, I suddenly realized that it doesn't matter how much we embrace the power of aging and, and celebrate it and rebrand ourselves and rah, rah, all the stuff that is true. Yes, we can rebrand ourselves. Yes, we can recreate ourselves. It's all, it's all important. But, 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 but there comes a time in life that the shit catches up with you. Mm. You cannot escape grief and loss no matter what you do. And I didn't really realize that until that time. So I was in this, in this heartbreak, total, total heartbreak of the things in my life. My kids were growing up, my marriage had ended, my communities were dispersing because it was based on kids, my mother had died. And I thought, how do I keep telling this story of rebrand aging? Let's let's retell the narrative of aging. You can age powerfully. And I thought, wow, the missing piece is gracious acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so that's what formed Artful Aging's four tenants, which are optimization, make the best of everything you have access to, every gift you've been given, every skill you've built, every every beauty that you have, every uh, inner skill, make the most of it, which had always been an interesting and mastery. How do we get better and change? The second one is reinvention, constantly changing ourselves, being ready to go with 
the new, being ready mm-hmm. to unfold in the next way that the world is calling on for us. And then speaking about it, because we can do all the changing and growing and optimizing and be these awesome people. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't show up, if we don't speak up, if we don't tell our stories, if we don't take up space, we don't change the story for the people coming behind us. And then the last one is the one that came together at the end, realizing that, wow, okay, that's all well and good, but gracious acceptance that needs to be part of this story. So that that's the the basics of the, my concept of artful aging. Yeah, and this also to me runs into that fourth stage. So we were we were talking a little while ago about talking about this podcast where we have the maiden, right, and then we go into more the mother and then the crone, and there's this missing chunk. Which I don't mind the crone. I don't mind owning that, but I also own goddess, priestess, you name it all at once. But let's hear your breakdown on this. Cause I loved the way that you broke this down. I was like, Ooh, thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm grappling a little bit right now because I think it's one of those big complex pieces. That's hard to be linear about or hard to be one dimensional. Yeah, of course it's and, a woman, which is what exactly. <laughs> and which is why it's so fascinating. I as I, as I was looking at the, and developing and thinking more about the optimization and the reinvention pieces and my own story, I was a, I was a Latin dancer, right? So you maybe saw, if you saw it, we, we wear sparkles and it's very, you know, the nails and the hair and like lots of glitter and, and, and that was something that I have never really claimed in my life because, except when I was an actor, myself personally, no, I was, it's always been a performance thing. And I, I felt myself grappling with who am I now? I'm 50 in my fifties and I'm doing this performance thing and where my kids are growing up, where, where do I fit in? And my image of the crone and what you say is true. We're reclaiming crone for sure. We're bringing all the nuance to the crone, but historically the crone has been before we reclaimed it, before we're in the process of reclaiming it, the crone has been in black robes, wizened, dried up, wise, yes, but not embodied. And so even as I've been going- That would be patriarchy, right? Decrepit. That's it. Patriarchy. (laughs) Exactly. So that's the patriarchal aspect of the crone that we are, you know, we're reclaiming the name and and recreating it for sure. But we still have a lot of remnants of the historical patriarchal version of the crone. Mm -hmm. And I experienced that as I was going out into the world, I have people say, well-meaning, loving people, and they they meant completely what they said. The, The instinct, the automatic response, the reflex would always be, oh, you're so wise. You have so much (laughs) wisdom, something along those lines. And I appreciate that. I, I think it's true. You have a fair amount of wisdom but I'm also an embodied person. And I felt over and over again, like my feminine embodiment was being missed. Skipped. Skipped. That I, that I was in, that I was experiencing that painful part, sometimes positive part. There's, there's positive and negative of invisibility. Mm. Sometimes there's a beautiful, I mean, I loved in some aspects being invisible, but there's something painful 
to being invisible. And I, I like so many other women my age, and I'm sure you're going to recognize them. Like, hello, well, I uh, don't put me, don't put me somewhere where I'm not ready to go yet. There's so, a double standard in the invisibility. There's this, I want you to see me and so forth, but don't look there. And it's again, part of conditioning, part of messaging. I also think it's part of being a vulnerable human being. Yeah. So I think it's part of the messaging, but I do think, and again, complex nuanced pieces. I think part of our natural human nature is, is I want to take up space. I want to be here. I want you to see me, but, oh, it's scary. And is it going to threaten my safety, my love and my belonging? Oh, say that again. Yeah. It's because our primal brain wants to feel safe, loved and belong. And if it's going to threaten those things, we're like, nope. Exactly. Exactly. And so sometimes it's safer to stay smaller, to stay little, and then to go with the cultural programming of what is supposed to be appropriate for the age. Mm -hmm. And so my, my process has been, let's not do appropriate. If this is appropriate, okay, I'm doing something else Uh, in all the ways as so many people in our communities are speaking up and we need all of our messages because it's a long history of patriarchy. So as getting back to the maiden mother crone piece, one of the things I've been involved with and the many things I've been involved with in my life is the health extension, life extension, anti-aging from a medical perspective, because my ex-husband was really involved in curing aging, curing, curing age, and still is curing age-related diseases. So I was involved in the quantified self movement from early on. And I know because I'm exposed to that world that medical science has made incredible advances. We are living so, our lives are so much longer. People are talking about the possibility of living to 100. It's probably not very many generations away that that's gonna be pretty standard. And so I was thinking we have this trajectory. And if you think about the time frame, the scale of maiden, mother and crone, what's maiden, 14, 15, 16 years. And then mother can be somewhere between, I mean, you know, obviously it scales, but maybe another 20 years. And then suddenly we go through menopause in our late forties or early fifties. And we've got half of our lives as crone. I think we need some more nuance there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need some more variety and we need something, something not only to replace what the patriarchal version of the crone is, but we need something in between when women, and I don't need to tell you and your listeners, this women in their fifties and sixties, and a lot of times, even in their seventies are vibrant can be embodied, especially the more we claim it, because we're we're deeply in this reclamation process right now. Yeah. But we have so much more to share. And so I've been playing with, well, what is that in between? Is it the empress? Is it the, and because I'm very involved in embodiment work and masculine feminine polarity with John Wineland and been doing a lot of personal work in that area in terms of connection with the masculine, but also my own embodiment and sexuality. Um, the, we need the erotic in here. We need to reclaim erotic as part of our fifties and sixties. And so I decided that I'm working with the erotic high priestess right now. Yeah. And you keep saying fifties and sixties. I'm like, I still think those forties and late thirties are in there too. As much as the mother's waning, it depends when you have children. Yeah. I had or children if you don't have children. young, or if you exactly. don't have children, yeah, exactly. Because it's kind of this erotic high priestess to me feels like it's as our hormones are waning, it's as the mothering, nurturing hormones are waning, which is 35 and plus and peri menopause for a good 
10, 15 years, it can be a real mess shit show. Um, or it feels like a shit show unless you know what's happening. Right. And there's this, these years where the kids, they're teens, they're independent. I don't need to mother. I need to embody. I need to embrace. I need to reconnect to come home in my body and own. I love the priestess and the goddess to me. They're kind of interchanged. They're kind of different. There's a both and in there. And definitely. Yeah. That's when I embraced goddess was 40. I have like, won't be able to see this on the podcast unless we put the video, but I've got a tattoo right across my left breast Oh, nice. uh, and it's backwards. So I can only see it in the mirror. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. I love that. That's so, that's so art artful, but it, it's embracing it. And that was from the school of Lily arts. Like that was from my journey on my second mastery is when I got that tattoo. And it was like a two-year journey at that point of really reclaiming the pieces that have not been allowed to show up right? It's also part of the artful aging of reclaiming my life, reclaiming the purpose, my purpose, being my authentic self, all of these things, which is also still very linked to hormones. Because if we go back to maiden, right? Like, are you going to call maiden like before 14, like before period? Is it more young girl to... When do you kind of, Oh, I, I mean, I don't have a very, very specific model. It's not my yeah. model. I, I think it's very scalable. And again, like we, mentioned, we have to bring in the fact that the mother is just an archetype. It doesn't mean you have to be yes. a mother and it's nurturing. Yes. Yeah. So they're, they're not, I don't think they're hard and fast because they're symbols, they're archetypes, yeah, but they also match whether we have children or don't our hormones. So they match the coming into fences coming into our period, right. And having that floodgate of wanting to be loved and creating a family. So going into having babies, eventually, if that's where you go or more nurturing, it goes into the mother, which is the high hormones, which I was just talking about another podcast before you have those hormones. So you don't eat your young. (laughs) It's so you don't kill your children because it's hard. It's hard as fuck raising young children or mothering ailing parents or taking care of ailing parents or whatever that may be, whatever role, even if you're deep in a career, mothering that career, right? You need those hormones. But as they start to wane in your late thirties through your forties, that's when we're moving into our authentic selves, our erotic high priestess. I'm really glad you brought the hormone piece in because it's not an area I know all that much about. I went through menopause pretty not, I didn't actually experience it too much. Uh, so I didn't really research it until more recently where I'm feeling the impact of hormones, but I'm glad you brought it up as starting in thirties because it matches what my experience is, which is that even though I'm always expecting my message to resonate more with people in their fifties, the people who I see the spark first in is usually, are usually the women in their late, late thirties because mm-hmm. they, I always thought it was because they see the future invisibility coming, but I think you're right. I think if they already feel their bodies changing and know something new is happening. And when you don't have those uh, nurturing hormones, you're like, you start to see the shit you've been dealing with. You start to see the shit that you've put up with for way too long. And that's when you're like, I need to change this no more. And sometimes it looks like really bitchy. Sometimes it looks like um, midlife crisis. Like it can look like many things, but it's not, it's just our, ourselves coming into our full authentic self. And if we embrace it, we can come into our unapologetic power. I love it. Absolutely. Hmm. I was thinking, as you were just speaking, I was thinking about 
again, I'm thinking now about the late 30s and 40s and remembering that it was very present for me in my 30s as I look back now, because I realized when I was parenting, when I was a mother, I never wore makeup. I gained a, quite a bit of weight for my body. It just didn't feel good in my body. I didn't ever wear jewelry. I, I, there was some old cultural thing that, well, when you're a mother, you have to be, and I completely unconsciously did that. Yep. It, it's, and when I look back now, I'm actually kind of shocked. Well, these are the messages we received. The same goes for sex. Yeah, You don't like sex if you're a mother. God forbid, if not, you're a total whore. Yeah. And you certainly can't be sexual, like either feel no. like it or be perceived that way. Yeah. So interesting. All There's the so things. many messages. You're allowed to be a teeny bit slutty if you're still looking for a partner. If you're a mother? No, if you're still looking for a partner. Oh, Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you look at women, we're allowed to be a little bit, we have to seduce oh. them. Right. But then once you have them, tone it down. Right. Right. Yeah. Just amazing. Right. And it's very unconscious. It's nobody ever said that to me, but look around what's acceptable. Yeah. So, and then by the time you hit the 40, 50s, 60s, you're not actually having sex anymore, are you? <laughs> right? And these are just the messages and bullshit, like just calling bullshit. It's not true. Yeah. Let's go into a little bit more of what this erotic high priestess can look like. Yeah. Well, I think the erotic high priestess has grown for me out of my work in the John Wineland sexual polarity and intimacy work and not not completely because I'm a dancer so there was already a sense of it's it was the convergence let's put it that way so I have a background as a dancer more recently but embodiment and very much this idea of the latin dancer there's a the the female partner in Latin dance is the showy one the sexy one the masculine's holding structure while she does all the stuff and that was for me, starting starting at that with that uh, as a mother, I think in my forties or whatever, that was that was uh, I don't want to say that was a challenge for me. I felt mm-hmm. out of myself, but I knew that there was a, something for me in that, and so that was the beginning of it. But it's a very showy, very technical, very. Uh, And getting into the embodiment part of it was something I felt I was missing. So when I went through my divorce, I, it was a painful divorce and I had a lot of wounding related to men from it. And I, as I, even though I spent, I knew I was in the process of healing, my women friends came and supported me and held this vision for my future life and it was beautiful in the way that my my community mostly women showed up for me Hmm. and I had so much pain related to men I the man that I was married to I on some level I mean you know I can go into all the nuances and all the complexities of any relationship that's long term but I but he was my person and I trusted him and I believed what he said. And I had a 
vision of what our future was. And it was not that we didn't have challenges for sure. I knew that, but uh, he was the person I thought was my person. And he was the one that I, um, that I trust, that I trusted. And so when my marriage ended in the way that it did, I, I felt devastated and it really shook my relationship with the masculine. And so it was a process for me for a couple of years of rebuilding that. And I knew there was a point where one day I was doing some kind of mindset practice and I wrote and I said, and I wrote something to myself that was like, this year I'm healing my relationship with the masculine and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then the John Wineland work started, came up. And so I started to, I entered into the teacher training program and through that program in the last year, I've finished the first year now, I got to to do so much practice sitting across from men in, in a practice of heart opening, um, sexual present, presencing sexuality and embodiment and pleasure. And it healed something in me that I would say was pretty big because it was a container. I needed that container. I'd try to go on dates and I'd be like, Oh no, need no, the safety. No, no. Yeah. I needed the safety of that container. I think to experience my own embodiment and pleasure in front of the masculine. Mm, brilliant. And, and, and so it, it definitely healed something. And then there's another aspect to that work that really fits for me in the way that I see the world and life and growth. And that is that how do we take our experience in the world, our grief, our loss, our heartbreak, and how do we make art from it? And that totally fits my own experience of living uh, and we had opportunities to practice that. And so one of the things is looking at archetypes and other places we do archetypes and all kinds of other things in, you know, our reclamation groups and our, in all of our pussy economy groups and crystals yeah. group and, you know, uh, so we do work with archetypes. So we do a lot of that in, in, in the John Wineland work as well as textures and different feelings, different different emotional experiences. And so I just started thinking a lot about, well, what does it mean? I started creating games for myself and I have these, some of these are becoming more dating games. Like, what does it mean to be um, in this moment, in this particular experience? And, and, it, and it woke up something that's totally natural to me, which is a fluidity mm -hmm. of emotions that comes from an embodied and pleasured place. And mm -hmm. so for me, the, the erotic high priestess is the synergy of that kind of sensuality and sexuality and erotic experience of my own body and pleasure with all that I've known and learned from being a woman with some wisdom. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to break down mine a little bit there too, because there's a little there's something else. And, and we've worked with archetypes, of course, with Mama Gina and Layla Martin and my sex, love and relationship training and, and all of this stuff as well. And there's something else in the priestess of, of owning our power of owning who we righteously are. Like we are born fucking worthy. It is conditioning and messages that have shut that off. Pardon me. So it's owning that, See, that's why my throat likes to act up because I'm speaking against the will. And I know that is opening up, but it's owning that power. It's owning that 
damn right. Like I am here and this is what I'm doing. And I don't give a fuck what you all think. And really, truly not giving a fuck what anybody else thinks that unshakable. I've got this. And I know I've got this, even if the world falls apart, even if there's a pandemic, even, even if, because when we come home into body and when we come home into our pelvic bowl and our womb and the wisdom, the innate, innate wisdom in our body, there is this unshakable like essence that we can tap into for me with um, using sacred pleasure or sacred sexuality. When we can tap into that space, generally through pleasure, not always, generally through peak, like through like orgasm, we can tap into this like, bam, um, of like this locking in of who we are. And then we can use this to do what we want to do. Wow. That's so interesting. I love that breakdown. What, what it's, what it's, what it's got me thinking about so interestingly, because there's all these different ways that we experience things and all the ways is, is like when you're talking about orgasm being the peak experience into empowerment or something, how, can you say that part again? Because it's interesting. There's these, 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 these peak parts of knowing who we are, but then when we drop into sacred pleasure and our own pleasure practices and our own blush breath work and our own practices going into, and these aren't, you know, five minutes. Ooh, I just went and had an orgasm. It's not like that. It's dropping into like a 45, 50 minute long practice where we are following our pleasure, where we are using breath, where we are using Tantra. So sound, breath, energy, all of this, all of these tools Mm -hmm. and bringing that into a pleasure practice. When we hit these states of climax then, which may not look like typical climax, they might, they might be different. There's like this connection to this inner fucking knowing that is very, very universal. It's almost like you're in this like dark black cosmos and you can see and feel the connection to the entire universe. And once you connect to it once you're locked, it's locked in you. The first time scared the shit out of me. The first time I, I was like, what the fuck was that? And I like bumped myself out, but there's this, once you have it, like it's in you. Wow. That sounds compelling. I don't know if I know that experience yet or not, at least in that way. It it is definitely um, an experience. Yeah. I, for me, what's alive for me right now is as I, I didn't really know about the erotic blueprint and stuff until recently Mm. and exploring that piece and exploring a lot more of the energetic aspects of my sexuality has been super interesting. And so there's some aspects of what you're talking about that I can relate to. And my way definitely is through movement and music. And that's my, my way in, but this other piece that you're talking about, this dark hole, they're like, okay, there's, there's something to, there's something more to work on here. It's all connected (laughs) because there's still movement. There's still sound. There's still breath. There's still sensual energy that we're bringing into practices, Mm -hmm. but then you get in touch with this piece of you that you're like, Oh, wow. It's just, wow. Oh, interesting. So this is the thing about language, right? So I relate to that piece the the piece about, oh, there I am in all the ways that feels like embodiment. So, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so interesting talking about our individual experiences, especially embodiment, right? I know. And it's also so scary. I've done it a few times though, but when you're first like, can I t- say this out loud or are you going to lock me up in a loony bin? Right. <laughs> but when I, when somebody asked that question, actually a few weeks after I had my first experience, 
with Layla, they asked directly and she answered. I was like, oh, thank you for asking. Cause I didn't want to, right. Because there's these pieces of like, what the fuck is this? Like it's, uh, Layla describes this in a beautiful, beautiful way of at the peak of orgasm. If we fully surrender, mm-hmm. if we fully allow ourselves to fully surrender, we get the closest we can ever get to death right in that moment. And that's what I bumped myself out of. I hit it. And I was like, what the fuck was this? I mean, I think really cool. I think there's a language. It might be French where there's a commonality between the word little death and orgasm. Yes. Yes, Yes, there is. Yeah. I love that. And you said something way back earlier um, about sexy as a performance. Oh, yes. And I think that's so helpful because many of us are doing sexy as a performance, even in our late teens. Yep. Oh, 20s, 30s. Constant. I think it is something that is so present for us to make the distinction. I think, I think the process of separating performative pleasure and performative eroticism from actual pleasure is a process for us. And Mm -hmm. it, and it, the difference between, between performative and dropped in can be a fine line. And the, I know it because this is the same thing in acting. In my in acting, you want to be present and real and authentic, and you know there's a camera on you, so it's hard sometimes to not be self-conscious. So the process is the same, and the subtlety is the same. To continuously watch yourself, like, am I doing this in a performative way? And when you recognize it and can stop it, that gives you a drop in. I, I mean, I think it's ubiquitous in our culture that women experience themselves and their eroticism and their pleasure as performative. I mean, we're we're porn culture. As you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, she had a camera on her. Look at the world. We have a camera on us all the time. There's like a parallel there of us dropping into what sexy looks like to get the guy, to get the partner or the girl, whatever that may be. And then there's this embodiment part of sexy, where as I say that, my pussy's like, it's like, there's this embodiment part of sexy where it, we feel it in our body. We feel it in our bones. We, I can take that breath and just feel the energy humming through my body. And that is the true embodiment, sexy. And it's, it is very different. And yeah, yeah, I, I would say that that part, that distinction between actual deep embodied pleasure and sexy and the performative parts that are so entrenched in our culture is such an opportunity for mm-hmm. growth and mm-hmm. has been really been a, a process I've loved. I've loved looking at in myself. I've loved experiencing. I've loved exploring. I've loved uh, finding freedom in it's, it's symbolically so much of what the experience of being a woman is mm-hmm. that the real true part is embodied and real and, 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 and deep and pleasurable and, and, and powerful for men, by the way, right. Powerful yeah. for men to experience more powerful actually for men to experience than the porn version, which I think they, you know, there's a big chasing for this performative idea because they don't actually feel it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a little, like, you know, junk food or something. So they need to eat more of it, mm-hmm. but actual embodied pleasure 
is actually is our nature is the true thing and it's not what we're indoctrinated in our culture it's all the other stuff is the is the, the piece. so i i think it's symbolically and essentially a process and a reclaiming that is super powerful and needed oh my gosh needed. yeah every single human on the planet female male non-binary needs to embrace this work in my mind and otherwise we're not present we're not waking woke waking up like we're walking around like these zombies so the other thing i want to just add to that yes and the interesting thing is it's not like you arrive there it's not like it's done i can feel completely authentic integrated in pleasure in in in, yeah, in myself and then it can pop out in a split second Mm-hmm. it's so it's a con it's a constant dance it's not something that's a one and done thing or you arrive or you get woke or whatever it's it's are you in the process of continuously waking you up to your own authentic pl- experience and pleasure and can you hold yourself and bring yourself back yeah. when you get bumped out because you're going to get bumped out uh and yeah it's a continuous continuous journey yeah really is there any last things you want to add before we close for people who are listening and not sure confused or I think that the only thing I would add, I guess, is that it's such a gift for us to be women in this time, even though there's so many challenges and so many ways that we're seeing what kind of obstacles we've had to climb over. I think there's a collective rising right now that we can be really excited about. Mm -hmm. And even all the obstacles, all the crazy things that are happening in the world that are confronting us are our challenge are the instigation. So I think it's a really amazing time to be a woman in the collective of women. Ooh, I loved all of that. Thank you. And where can people find you? We're going to drop the links in the show notes, but what do you have going on? Where can people find you? Give us a little share on that. Mostly everything I do is at lisalacroix.com, but my primary platforms are TikTok, YouTube, and somewhat Instagram. I am mostly a speaking coach and I approach my speaking skills training for people uh, from a position or from a place of how do we use our speaking to empower our authentic selves? I love working with women in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I love creating content. So I have courses, I have free content on all the social media platforms on artful aging and on speaking and mostly everything's at my website at Lisa Lacroix. Mm, I love that. His.com. Lisa Lacroix.com. Yeah. Cool. I clarify now because I'm .ca, right? So <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been beautiful connecting with you again. And I really, really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much, Kim. You are a skilled and delightful interviewer. I really appreciate the time mm-hmm. together. Thank you. Till next time. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you got a juicy nugget or two, scroll down on whatever app you're listening to and leave a five-star rating and review. I invite you to follow me, join the conversation, the weekly lives, and a lot of other amazing free content in my private Facebook group, Get Your Sexy Back. You can also friend me personally on Facebook, Kim Coffin, and follow me on Instagram at Get Your Sexy Back Coach. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, don't be shy. Reach out. I'd love to connect with you. 